and welcome to Teaching Together, the podcast from Complete Mathematics. I'm Stuart Welsh, and today I am joined by the awesome Dr. Amanda Austin of DrAustinMaths.com. Thank you for joining me today, Amanda. Hello, Stuart. Good to be here. So, Amanda, tell us, what are we looking at today? Today, Stuart, we're looking at circle theorems and angles. And this objective is in Unit 7 of Stage 10 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. And you can access this objective and the whole curriculum made up of over 1,800 objectives for free at completemaths.com. Now, you can follow along with this episode by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast, where you can download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. Once you've downloaded this, let's dive into Teach, Do, Practice, Behave with Circle Theorems angles. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we are doing the right maths at the right level. If we're not, and it's too easy or too hard, we run the risk of behaviour and motivation issues as pupils develop the idea that they're not a maths person and we know that that isn't a thing. We can check that we're doing the right maths by assessing the prerequisite knowledge for this mathematical idea. Amanda, can you tell us what the prerequisites are for this objective and how you go about assessing them in your classroom? Uh, yes, Stuart. So there are quite a lot of prerequisites for circle theorems. Um, so I would look at these in quite a bit of detail uh, using an activity like the one on slide three. So a series of questions that I would give to students either individually or to work on in pairs and probably um, a lesson or two before I would actually start um, teaching circle theorems. So the prerequisites are um, the parts of the circle, the names of the parts of the circle. So you can see in question one there, um, some of the main angle rules that we're going to be using. So testing to make sure that students remember, for example, angles on a straight line uh, and how to use that rule and angles around a point. Um, if we look at question three, we're going to be looking at angle rules involving right angle triangles. So there's just a question there to make sure that they are familiar or they can recall um, right angle triangles and the angles within a right angle triangle. Um, question five is just checking um, the whether they understand the three-letter angle notation, because that comes up quite often in circle theorem exam style questions. Um, but question four is probably the main one. Uh, the way I would introduce circle theorems is through um, isosceles triangles within a circle. And so I want to do uh, quite an in-depth check just to make sure that, first of all, they remember um, the properties of an isosceles triangle um, and particularly the angle properties. And just to make sure that they don't have that misconception that um, when um, base angles are equal in an isosceles triangle, that they're not those two angles at the actual bottom of the triangle. Because obviously within a circle, the triangles are gonna be orientated in different ways. So I need to make sure that they understand that fully. 
Fantastic, Amanda. Thanks. And really important there that you've um, talked about the different orientations um, because there's a misconception sitting in there that you don't want to arise during your teaching of the circle theorem. So getting in there in advance and busting that misconception is a great idea. Can I ask you a couple of questions? First of all, you said you'd probably do this activity with the class a few lessons before teaching the circle theorems. Why is that you put in a few lessons gap? Um, not necessarily a few lessons, but I wouldn't do it at the start of that learning episode, I wouldn't just um, do it and then go straight into circle theorems. I would normally, if this, uh, if I'm teaching a topic and it's got quite a few prerequisites, then I would want to do that even just a lesson before, mainly so I can take in what they've done and I can have a look at if they do have any misconceptions and then consider whether I need to um, reteach things or um, just do a little bit more work on them before I launch full on to kind of the new content. Yeah, that's that's definitely the key to that type of responsive teaching is give yourself a little time window to to analyse and, and make sense of what the pupils are doing and then you can respond in that appropriate way. And how would you go about assessing these? Is this something that you would give to pupils on paper or would you be doing this uh, whole class or, or what would you do here? Um, usually I would do it for um, in pairs. So as paired work, print out the questions on A3, give students different coloured pens so they can fill in the different bits and get them to kind of discuss and hopefully act activate kind of the prerequisite knowledge um, before then having a look. It's not really about assessing which student knows what. It's more of a kind of an overall feel of where I need to pitch the lesson as I'm going into it. That's brilliant. That's great. So now that we've assessed that prerequisite knowledge and we know that the pupils are ready to learn the new idea, we're ready to teach. In the teach phase, the idea is entirely novel to pupils, sitting just beyond their current level of understanding. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphors and models to explain and describe so that pupils can make meaning and form connections with their current schema. So, Amanda, how are we approaching the teach phase for circle theorems angles? Uh, so, Stuart, I would start by um, looking at isosceles triangles within a circle. So I would be looking at how we can tell that if a, if a, a triangle is made up of a radius, a radius and a chord, that it would be an isosceles triangle and it would therefore have two angles within the triangle that are equal. So I'd start by showing some examples and non-examples of isosceles triangles uh, that are within a circle, just to make sure that the students get the hang of the fact that it needs to be two radii and a chord in order for it to be a circle and you can uh, a triangle, sorry, and you can see this example um, on slide four. Thanks, Amanda. And yes, I think that um, introduction there through isosceles triangles is a really great idea because we're, we're building, as you said, on something that pupils are familiar with. And we're starting to uh, sort of blend it in to a, a less familiar context, which is going to build uh, toward the work on circle theorems. Uh, equally important here, and, and you know, you've really highlighted it in your example in slide four, is the, the use of appropriate vocabulary. Uh, it's so, so important that as teachers, we're using the appropriate uh, terminology and, and mathematical language and that we expect pupils to do the same. Because if we're describing the intricacies of the circle theorems, which are still to come, and we're using a language that pupils don't speak, then that's going to only add to their confusion. 
So um, we're going to transition out of the teach phase just now and move towards the, the do phase, and uh, that'll be coming up next. This episode's slightly different, of course, because we've got a number of circle theorems here, so we're going to alternate between teach and do for different circle theorems, um, but um, we're going to move on to the do phase just now for these isosceles triangles. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown. And in most cases, this is likely to be following a procedure which leads to a solution. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. Here, the teaching is responsive, amending models or examples to make stronger connections in pupil schema and to maintain pupil motivation. The aim is for pupils to be successful in replicating the novel idea, and it's important to state that in the do phase, deep and meaningful learning probably hasn't yet occurred. So the do phase is largely about replication, and my go-to for this is to use example problem pairs, alternating between teach and do, telling them something and having them replicate it on many whiteboards. I can give them instant feedback and build on what has landed, amending my explanations for things that haven't landed until pupils can repl replicate, literally do what I've shown them. And once the teacher knows that pupils can replicate the new idea, we want them to develop fluency with it. So Amanda, what kinds of activities are we looking at here in the do phase? So during this phase of the learning, um, I would be Again, using example problem pairs, like you said, so backwards and forwards on mini whiteboards between myself and the students. And we're just looking to make sure that once we've understood how we can recognize an isosceles triangle within a circle, that we can then go on to um, find and calculate missing angles within those isosceles triangle. So there's probably a case of me modeling an example on the board and talking through it, and then them having a go at one or two follow-up examples on their mini whiteboards. Um, and I do this a couple of times, basic, um, first ba basic examples where there's just an isosceles triangle within a circle and nothing, no other uh, complications to that and then maybe involving some of the other angle rules that we mentioned at the beginning so using um, angles around a point add up to 360 degrees or maybe angles on a straight line as well so you can see those on the left hand side of slide five and then from this point um, I'd then hand over to them and they do some independent practice in their books um, using the practice grid that we can see on the right-hand side of slide five. That's excellent. And there on, on slide five, we can see that, um, that that sort of do phase is just nudging toward the practice phase in a sense, um, as the, the last few questions on slide five are, are starting to test kind of deeper understanding. But lovely, lovely activity there uh, for pupils to work on. So then I think we can move to slide number six. Um, and if you have a look at slide number six, you can see here a, a sort of a sort of investigation, Amanda, that you've that you've put together, something that sort of is is laying the the groundwork. Can you tell us just a little bit about what's going on with slide six? So what I was trying to do here was make circle theorems, which can be quite a tricky topic for students, a little bit more accessible. And once they got um, 
a firm grasp of isosceles triangles within circles to start putting a, a couple of isosceles triangles, in this case, um, together to um, kind of do a, an informal proof, if you like, or at least a demonstration of two of the circle theorems that we're talking about today. So on the, on the top half of the um, activity, we've put two isosceles triangles together within a, a semicircle. And I've marked on one of the angles and the student should have enough information there using their angle rules to be able to work out all the missing angles in each of the diagrams. And then I've highlighted an angle in yellow that hopefully they will be able to see that um, adds up to 90 degrees. And so it's a kind of a demonstration that the angle inside the semicircle is always 90 degrees. And over on the right hand side, there's the, the opportunity for them to draw in their own isosceles triangles and have a go with a different angle as well. And then on the bottom half of that slide, it's another two isosceles triangles, but this time within the full circle. And again, there's enough information on the diagram there for the students to work out all the missing angles. And what I'm hoping for here is that they will come up with the conclusion that the angle at the centre is always twice as big as the angle uh, at the circumference. And again, they can give that a go over on the right hand side with their own diagram too. So I, I think that is a, a lovely activity, Amanda, and there's a few things going through my mind. First of all, is this activity available anywhere else for, for listeners to access? Is this on your website? Uh, yes. So all of the things that I've used today um, are available on Dr. Austin Maths. Great. And I think there's a whole host of other fantastic stuff on there. So definitely, if you haven't checked that out, you should. Um, what about these user-generated sort of examples? So you've given the, the a kind of empty circle, basically, with a, with a diagonal or a radius. Um, how do you find pupils respond to to that task of having to create their own examples? And do you do this in other areas of your teaching? I was a bit sceptical about putting it on at first because I have tried to introduce circle theorems where students do a lot of drawing and measuring angles and seeing if they spot patterns. And I do find that quite often students can get bogged down in the actual kind of constructions of the diagrams and things like that. So the idea here was to um, make it as easy for them as possible, but just to give them a bit more um, ownership, if you like, of choosing their own angles and seeing if it would also, if, they, if, if it also worked. A bit of reassurance that um, the whole class could all choose different isosceles triangles and they would still hopefully end up with the same conclusion. And that's really nice because, as you said, obviously we don't have a formal proof here, but we certainly do have something that, you know, the pupils have got that opportunity to start to realise that it doesn't matter what I draw here, I'm still getting that same result. And I think that's an important thread that runs through these circle theorems. And the other thing is, of course, what you've done here so skillfully, and I'm sure the listeners have picked up on it, is just built on and built on this, this idea of knowledge of isosceles triangles right from the initial activity where you're making sure that they have a deep understanding of the angles in isosceles triangles, the properties, the language around isosceles, they're still appearing here, but they're getting more and more embedded into the, the thinking around the circle theorem. So a really wonderful activity and definitely something that I would uh, I would love to be using with a group of pupils. So we're going to move on now to the next slides. Now, there are more circle theorems, of course. Um, and so from slides 7 through 12 in the accompanying uh, PowerPoint, you'll be able to see how Amanda um, goes through them. I would like, if possible, for us to just look very 
very briefly at, at those slides in a sense, uh, Amanda, just, just to tell us which, which other circle theorems are we exploring as we go through this sort of teach and do element? What, what have we got in slides seven and, and, and eight, et cetera? So slides seven and eight take you through a similar process to isosceles, when we were looking at isosceles triangles within the circle, in that I will introduce the idea um, that they've just hopefully discovered from the investigation um, and the key terminology, and then look at some examples and non-examples of when is the angle in a semicircle, for example, a right angle, and when isn't it? And then we do some backwards and forwards, mini whiteboard work, um, where once we're sure that we can recognize each of the circle theorems, that we can use those circle theorems to um, work out missing angles. Uh, and then there'd be a practice grid again that follows on from that. So I would do that for each circle theorem separately. So for right angle in a semicircle um, on slide seven and eight, and then I would repeat the process for the angle at the centre is twice the angle at the circumference. That's on slides uh, nine and ten. And then for angles in the same segment are equal. That's on slides 11 and 12. That's brilliant and definitely worth checking out those slides to see what Amanda has done. Um, if we look now to slide number 13, what we have included for you is a selection of links to autograph web files. So you can uh, click through these links, take you to Autograph Web, and we've got an opportunity here to display um, sort of dynamic geometry to the to the pupils, and we can continue to to sort of build on what Amanda had said there about uh, not a, not a formal proof, but certainly a chance to um, change points on these uh, circles and see the angles changing it, and look to see those those relationships. So um, really nice opportunity to bring in Autograph Web there. As I say, those links are, are hyperlinked on the slides. And then slide number 14 uh, is an interesting one. It's also a set of autograph web links, only this time now we're, we're, we're going into a bit more depth and we're actually trying to get toward the formal proofs of these circle theorems. And, you know, the, the, we talked about this before, Amanda, you, your, your investigation is a sort of, feels like a stepping stone toward a proof. Um, and I think there's a there's a real opportunity here to explore proof. But how would you bring in proof here? Is this something that you would do at the very beginning of a learning episode? Would you would you do proof of these circle theorems with everybody, or how would you tackle that? Um, certainly not at the beginning of a learning episode. I think this is ideal for coming at the end of a learning episode. So where students are familiar with the circle theorems and they've had plenty of practice of using the circle theorems, and um, they've done it in a way through the investigation. Um, they've looked at with it with specific angles, but what obviously we have here with the formal proof is that we start bringing in um, algebra to represent each of the specific angles. And I think um, they do find it difficult, students. Um, ideally, you'd want to um, broach it with all students. Obviously, some students are going to find it easier or more challenging than others but I personally would do it at the end of a learning episode and um, or sometimes I have done in the past uh, a whole lesson just on circle theorem proofs so maybe towards the end of circle theorems just concentrate a whole lesson on okay these are the circle theorems we know them we've used them how can we prove them because quite a lot of them follow on from a previous circle theorem. No, that's really interesting to have your insight to that um, 
you know, in terms of when you might introduce the proofs and how you might do them. Sometimes I, I think that, um, you know, even if pupils are just watching the teacher work through a proof, you know, narrating the, the commentary and describing the way the thinking's going, essentially modelling, then I think that's still valuable for them, not necessarily expecting them to anticipate every next step in the proof, but just to just to see a proof being carried out so that it's, it's sowing a seed for, you know, future, future sort of maths work. Now, I think that's us. We've worked our way through the teach and do phases um, for this objective. Uh, the pupils are, are developing fluency. Uh, they're starting to, to maybe build some level of understanding and it's time now to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the new idea. Unfortunately, it's quite common that pupils spend all of their time in a maths lesson performing with the new idea, as we've seen in the do phase, but don't get as far as forming connections with their existing schema, and this affects retention in the long term. Through teach and do, pupils are now fluent with the idea, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking here for well-structured and intelligently designed tasks that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So, Amanda, can you suggest what type of activity the teacher might be using here? So I think once students have met several circle theorems, then there's the opportunity to start mixing them up, um, like this activity on um, slide 15, and also bringing in other um, angle rules, so angles on a straight line and around a point and so on. It enables the students to kind of recognise the circle theorems and just gets, gives them a little bit more practice of spotting them, where they're mixed up rather than here's a circle theorem and all of these questions are based on this circle theorem. Do you know, I think you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I have to um, admit that uh, when I learned mathematics at school, circle theorems were not something that was included in the curriculum. And actually, they're not something that's included in the, the curriculum in Scotland um, at the moment. So it was only when I um, moved and started teaching um, GCSE type work that I met the circle theorems. And I think that's really important that we don't just allow pupils to practice a whole bunch of the same circle theorem. We have to bring in activities that involve method selection and try and, and try and detangle them. But um, I wanted to ask you briefly, Amanda, you know, uh, th there's a curriculum in Scotland that doesn't include circle theorems. And then there's one south of the border that does. What is the value of learning these circle theorems, of studying these circle theorems, do you, do you feel? So I think here, um, obviously, studying circle theorems, um, possibly towards the, the end of the GCSE course, um, gives another um, opportunity for students to practice their angle rules and also introduces them to some new angle rules. But again, it kind of leads nicely into proof and geometric proof and looking at geometric proof that they may then um, want to take further when they go to A-level or studying A-level maths and further maths. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more, to be honest. I think I see these circle theorems as a, a chance to reinforce angle work, but also to build that bridge towards more formal proof. 
So after pupils have assimilated the, the new idea here into their, their schema, forming strong connections between the, the novel idea and their existing knowledge, we're now going to be looking at them behaving mathematically. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and if our aim is to develop mathematicians, then this phase is the most important of all. When behaving mathematically, maturation matters. In this phase, tasks are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years. So we're looking for pupils to transition from specialising to conjecturing and generalising and through to analysing and reasoning with a related idea from roughly two stages previous. And for circle theorems, we've put together this task on slide 16. Two lovely tasks, in fact, from Katrina Ag, which draw upon the knowledge of angle properties of polygons, uh, properties of isosceles triangles and, and angles around a point. Uh, both of these are hyperlinked to um, Katrina's Twitter, where you'll find many, many um, befuddling tasks just uh, just like these ones. Uh, Amanda, do you have anything to add on these tasks? Uh, just to say that both of the tasks link nicely to um, the work that we've done on isosceles triangles um, and the fact that isosceles triangles kind of permeate all the way through circle theorems. Uh, and it's nice to have the chance to revisit isosceles triangles and also look at some harder problems that do involve isosceles triangles. I think you're right there. It's so important that when we move into this behave phase, we are giving pupils the opportunity to think really deeply about uh, some mathematical ideas that they met sometime in the past. And what we're able to see there is that in the in the time that's elapsed, the their understanding of these ideas is, is matured and then they're able to tackle it in a different way. So two lovely tasks, which um, really, I think, um, are a great example of, of opportunities to behave mathematically. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Teaching Together. I'd like to thank my guest, Amanda Austin, for her incredible insight. You can find more of Amanda's work at draustinmaths.com. Don't forget to check out the entire Complete Mathematics curriculum for free at completemaths.com. That's over 1,800 objectives from counting through to calculus. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode. And if you have any questions, comments or thoughts, don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at maths180. And mine is at Dr. Austin Maths. Or get in touch with Complete Maths on at LaSalle Ed. Or via email, you can get me on Stuart at CompleteMaths.com. Or I'm at Amanda at DrAustinMaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please re leave a review on your chosen podcast provider. And please feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. Bye.